The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves, mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your statutes, Lord, stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days. For those who are able to stand up as we begin worship. Good morning and welcome to Regen. It looks like you all survived Thanksgiving um, and hopefully had at least some good food and maybe some good time with family and friends as well. Um, If this is your first time with us, we're so glad that you're here. Um, We'd love to offer you a gift on your way out. There's mugs back there. Um, And if you would like to kind of know more about what's going on, there's a hey card that you can fill out with your email address and you'll get our weekly um, emails that just kind of let you know um, what's going on and what we're up to and different ways that you can connect. Um, If you're just someone who's been attending and hasn't done that, we would also invite you to do that so you can kind of know what's going on um, here at Regen. If you have a social media account on Facebook and you'd like to check in and use the hashtag RegenGives, this month our uh, donations are going to SMARTS, um, Students Motivated by the Arts, um, which uh, Lindsay Goosens is part of um, and serves Mahoning and Trumbull County and just helps connect kids um, with different arts opportunities that their schools may not have. Um, and then uh, just a recap from this past week. Thank you so much to all of you who came uh, to help serve for the summit Thanksgiving dinner. We had a great time with the kids. They really enjoyed it. Some of you came Monday night. Some of you came Tuesday morning, and it was just an awesome opportunity. And one of the other opportunities we have is on your way out, you'll see a little Christmas tree with ornaments on it. And so between Otterbine and Regen and Grace and the staff of Summit, we um, get Christmas gifts for all the kids, and then we throw a Christmas party at the Grace campus. So if you'd be interested um, in taking one of those ornaments, just make sure you sign it out so we can make sure we know who has them. And it's a $20 limit, and the, the students say on there, like, what their requests are. So if you, I try, to, I sometimes give Regen, like, the stranger ones, so if you have any questions, I will do my best to answer, because I was on Amazon Googling some stuff and trying to figure out what they wanted. But, um, so we'd love for you to be a part of that. And then I'm um, coming up on December 15th, we're going to be doing a progressive dinner. Um, I'm still kind of looking for some people who would like to host that. So if that's something you'd be interested in, just see me after and we can, I can kind of give you the details on that as well. So I'm going to have Zach come up and pray for our offering. Hey guys, I'm going to pass these around. So um, if you are giving today, you can, uh, there's some information on how to do that in the program there. Uh, But before I do that, just go ahead and pray with me. Um, Jesus, you are uh, calling my attention to relationship today. And uh, I just want to say thank you for that. Uh, Thank you for um, inviting us into a relationship with you and the Father and your Spirit. Uh, One relationship that you have been doing perfectly since the beginning of time. Um, Lord, I thank you that you give us and you tell us things to do and you do it frequently. Um, 
daily the same thing and, and, and sometimes more than one thing. So Lord, I, I am grateful that it's not under our own power to be able to do those things, but you are here with us and you give us the ability to do that. And it's through you we're able to be the people that you meant us to be to each other and to you and to glorify your your kingdom. In Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. God, you are the God who is with us in our disappointment. You are the God who is with us in our waiting. You are the God who is with us in our worry. You're the God who is with us in our joy. And so, uh, Holy Spirit, would you come today and would you remind us of your presence? Would you call us into a deeper kind of faithfulness um, as we uh, follow after you as disciples? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, y'all. Welcome here. Uh, Yeah, welcome. My name's Kyle. And uh, if we've not met... Uh, hang around after worship. I'd love to meet you. Um, we're in a one-off little series right now, and um, that's happening there, and uh, we're excited about that. But then next week, we're starting a series called Jesus and. Jesus and. And we're going to look at the three things that we tend to add to Jesus. So uh, Jesus and Buddha, uh, you will meet a lot of people who tell you that they are Buddhist Christians. That is not possible, but we'll talk about. And, and all of these things are solved by the incarnation. So at Christmas, we talk about how Christ is, is both God and fully human, right? How he became flesh. So the incarnation makes these things impossible. Um, we'll talk about Jesus and angels. If one more person tells me that God took their loved one and turned them into an angel, I'm, I don't care how sad they are, I'm going to punch them. So, um, so that's that one. And then... Uh, Jesus and the New Age. Christians are the most likely group in our country to believe in New Age practices. Reincarnation, uh, horoscopes, those kinds of things. So uh, we'll look into each of those, which will ramp us up into Christmas candlelight, which is December 23rd at 6, Jesus only. So on December 23rd, we actually have two services that day. The first service, we're here in the morning. Um, It's usually a little briefer, and then Whoever is here gets dragooned into setting up for our Christmas candlelight. If you're new to Regen, you want to be here at about 5.15 for Christmas candlelight if you want to be anywhere near me in this building. We'll have about 125, 140 people. Um, And so there are chairs everywhere uh, like you've never seen. So um, we take a ton of chairs from just about everywhere in the building and bring them in here. It's a really great night. So that'll be the 23rd. And uh, we're excited about that. Um, You're going to get an email about this probably over the next couple of weeks here. Um, But one of the things I just want to make sure that we're super clear on too is uh, as as a faith community connected to the United Methodist Church, I'm a licensed pastor in the United Methodist Church, which means we're governed by those principles. And here's a bonus principle is I am afforded up to eight weeks of paid paternity leave. So I'll be taking seven weeks of paternity leave next year, um, four weeks immediately after our son is born, whenever that is, and then three weeks over the summer. And our staff and our leadership have been working, we'll have a plan to kind of keep things running. You'll have preaching coming from within our community, that kind of stuff. So I just want to make sure you know that, um, that that's happening. And uh, it's a really cool perk of uh, being in the UMC that I 
get to do that. So um, spend a lot of our life getting to focus on this spiritual family, but it'll be really fun to take a few weeks and focus on our biological and spiritual family in that season. So that's that. If you've got a Bible, turn to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. It's the last book of the Old Testament. In between the Old and New Testament, you may not know this, in your Bible, it just kind of, you turn the page from Malachi 3 into Matthew 1. What you don't see is that there's 400 years of silence in between those. So 10 generations in which there was no new revelation. And this is one of the last things that God has to say. We're going to be looking at Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. Um, We watched a couple Hallmark movies on Thanksgiving. We watched two, and yes, you're right, they ended in exactly the same way. Uh, the guy got the girl or the girl got the guy or, you know, whatever is the right answer to say. And, and you know, at about 30 minutes from the end, they went in to kiss and the phone rang so they couldn't kiss. About 15 minutes from the end, she saw him hugging some other woman and thought that that was, you know, something that it wasn't. So he had to go running to chase her. It was, yeah, it was his sister or an ex-girlfriend. They decided to end it peacefully, you know, whatever it was. So, as we're watching this, though, we, we weren't watching, you know, anything recorded, so we're having to watch commercials. And uh, gosh, man, there's just a million, right? Especially on Thanksgiving, everything is about Black Friday, when people wake up before God wakes up, right, to get in line to go buy something, right? How many of you Black Friday shopped? Just etiquette. Just, uh, I am judging you in my heart. We went after 1 p.m., but, uh, you know, that's when normal people go shopping anyway, so... Uh, no, it's okay. It's cool. It's, you're just materialistic and you need more of Jesus. So, um, so I'm watching all these commercials about Black Friday and, and they have pictures like this. Like, look at how happy this couple is. Like, she has a remote in her hand. I don't know if it's for a TV or like, like a, a wall unit air conditioner. Who knows? Maybe they live in the South. Uh, you know, then there's this, this other picture. Like, these kind of pictures just fill fill our screens this time of year, and they're telling us a story, and they're telling us a story about what leads to happiness. They're telling us a story about what leads to what philosophers of old would call the good life. They're telling us a story of what Jesus would call how we get to life and life abundant. And all of these stories have at their core this idea that you can have the good life and you can have happiness if you buy something. If you buy this necklace from K Jewelers, Every kiss begins with K, just so you know. Don't know if you've ever heard that before. Um, every, every, every company I name and give the advertisement for, I get paid today. So that's, uh, this, this sermon is brought to you by K Jewelers and Best Buy. So um, corporate sponsorship is the way of the future. And uh, so, you know, you buy this necklace for your wife or your girlfriend or whoever, and it's going to make you happy. If you buy your kid this toy, it will make them happy. If you give your family this experience at the holiday, you, the, the, the dysfunction will go away, right? Is kind of the story. That's how we get to the good life. But what's so interesting to me about all of these commercials, I watch them and all, I don't see happiness. I don't see merry and bright. I don't see holiday snuggles under buffalo plaid blankets. Here's all I hear. We want your money. We want your money. And all of these stories, when they tell us a story about the good life, they tell us a story about what they want from us. In exchange for $50, in exchange for $100, in exchange for $200. Have you seen this ad for the portal on Facebook? Have you seen this? Super interesting. It's like FaceTime that moves with you, right? And it zooms in and out. Super interesting. If you buy that, $300, I was looking on Amazon the other day, you will have connectedness and love in your family. All of them, though, have the story of what they want 
from us. And what's so interesting is that's how our culture talks about money. When our culture starts talking about money, it talks about what they want from us. And when, and when scripture starts talking about money, we're, we're, we're then trained to kind of have this cynicism of the Bible is now just God, another person in line seeking after my wallet, right? We only see the Bible talking about what God wants from us. But what's interesting about the way that the Bible speaks about money, and we're just doing this on a one-off today, is that the Bible always talks about what God wants for us before he talks about what he wants from us. What God wants from us is always couched in what he wants for us. And that's exactly what, what happens in Malachi chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, grab it, go with me to that Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. We're going to look at what does God want for us, even as he talks about what he wants from us. Verse 6 says, I am Yahweh. If you in your Bible have capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's God's personal name. I am Yahweh and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says Yahweh of heaven's armies. But you ask, he says, how can we return when we've never gone away? He says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me, the text says, you have cheated me of the tithes and the offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says Yahweh of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great, you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says Yahweh of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, verse 12 says. Now you hear that text, and the only thing that stuck out in your mind was what? Bring all the tithes into the, off, bring all the, tithes into the storehouse so I may have food in my temple. We totally miss out, we totally miss out on the larger context of this, that in this whole passage, there's one sentence where God says what he wants, what he wants from us. The rest of the passage is what he wants for us. And what God wants for us is this. This is the short version of it. What God wants for us to experience is the freedom that comes from entrusting ourselves to his provision. I'm going to say it again. What God wants us to experience is the freedom that comes from trusting and trusting ourselves to his provision. What God wants us to experience is the freedom that comes from entrusting ourselves to his provision. He wants us to experience freedom that comes from entrusting ourselves to his provision. Look at what, look at what God offers his people in this text. He offers them Grapes that stay on the vine till they're ripened. He offers them crops that will be protected from disease. This is good news to a culture of mostly farmers. As far as I know, none of you are like letting your vineyards rest, right? Um, and some of, I mean, we got Southington people, y'all farm. And uh, this is good news to you, right? Um, God is offering them freedom. He is offering them freedom from the worry 
He's offering them freedom from the worry that comes with, will my crop be good this year so that I can provide for my family? He is offering them freedom from this up all night wondering that these people would do about, will I be taken care of? Will there be enough for me? He's offering them freedom from that. And it's a freedom that comes from entrusting ourselves to the provision that he here outlines. Now, that same promise is true for us. God wants to provide for us. He's a good father. He loves us. He knows what we need before we ask it of him. Uh, scripture says if, if you look at the lilies of the field and how beautiful they are, if God clothes them, you can count on God to clothe you because he loves you more than them. Um, there's a same promise for this. And this is, if you don't know me super well, this is when I get the closest to late night TV preacher who really does just want your money. Okay? This is the closest I'll ever get. And the only reason I'm doing that is because I'm actually doing what scripture says. Right? I'm just following the line of the Bible, right? And the line of the Bible says that if we participate in the way which God outlines, we will experience provision in this ways. We have seen personally, my wife and I, we have seen personally over and over and over and over again, the Lord provide for us in really surprising ways. Um, we had three miscarriages leading up into our pregnancy now. And after one of those miscarriages, there was a big test and some stuff got sent away for testing. And uh, a bill comes in the mail, $6,600. Okay, for the record, that's $1,600 more than it would have cost us to have a baby. So guess who is up all night freaking out about, we're going to have to ask our parents. I don't know what we're going to, like, we don't have $6,600 lying around. Steph wakes up the next morning, calls them, and they say, oh, well, since your insurance didn't cover it, it's just $200 out of pocket. She goes, okay, let's, here's my credit card number. How do we get this done right now, right? I mean, that is a small example where in this long history of all of this medical stuff we've had over the, next, over the last three or four years, at every turn when a bill seemed huge, I mean, the Lord would take care of it. We will get checks in the mail right before or right after a need arises almost every time. Um, I've told, some of you heard me tell this story before that I, um, that, uh, I outgrew my wedding suit. It happens, right? Either that or I, I personally think it shrunk in the closet. Something happened. And uh, I needed a new suit for this service we were going to do, and we just, we just didn't have the money. And uh, boom, there's a check, enough for us to go out to dinner and to buy the suit. I mean, this kind of stuff has happened over and over again. We've been, sometimes God's provision looks like being placed in a community that cares for us. So at Regen, part of our budget, there's a little tiny pot of money, we call it Good Samaritan, that when a need is presented, we take care of stuff. So um, some people in our community last year got, kind of ended up in some stuff. We used some money to, to bless them and help take care of some medical bills. Um, somebody a couple years ago got in a pretty bad car accident. We helped them like and they were out of state, so we helped and cared for them that way. Um, like this is one, of, sometimes God places us in a community. The church we served in Illinois, my car broke down. It was going to be crazy expensive, like $2,000, $3,000, and the church just covered it, right? So sometimes God places us in community. Um, sometimes I would even say that we end up getting blessed not only by our needs. The promise of Scripture is that our needs will be met. But sometimes God gives us wants, too. And um, like two years ago, we took a vacation to South Carolina. And we did it because some people at Grace Campus like took us with them. on va We went va on vacation with people in their 70s. It was awesome. Um, it was great. And, uh, uh, and we did this because they covered the large majority of the expenses, right? Um, so like that wasn't something that we needed. It was something that like we was like over and, beyond, over and above our needs. What I'm saying is... 
Um, you know, scripture, it says that I will open the windows of heaven for you. Isn't that an interesting verse? I will open the windows of heaven. Here's, God has opened the windows of heaven for us a number of times and provided for us. What has come out has never been a beamer yet, right? What, has, what did come out was a really nice Ford Flex, a.k.a. what I call the sexy flexi. Um, uh, when we needed a car, there were my in-laws. Provide, the, uh, the window of heaven opened and my in-laws drove through in the sexy flexi, you know what I mean, and gave it to us. And uh, um, that's what I call it, sorry if that disturbs you, but it's true. Um, uh, the window of heaven opened and like we have a great home, like we have a lot, of, but we don't have like a jet. We don't go to Bora Bora four times a year. Most of our vacations are to go see family. What I'm saying to you is that when we entrust ourselves to the Lord's provision, what that means is your needs will be provided for and some of the wants you didn't know you had will be taken care of because God's a father. He likes to surprise us and go over and above. But how does, so the Lord wants us to experience this freedom that comes from uh, his provision. So how do we get to experience that? Well, it's a participatory process. Look at verse 10. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food for my temple. In other words, God says, give me what is mine so I can accomplish my purposes. We'll get to that in a minute. There's this old, this, this is an Old Testament principle for giving, tithing. Tithe means tenth. And so the people of Israel would give the top tenth of their crops. They would go out, first day at harvest, let's get the first 10%, not keep it. Let's find the best 10% and let's go and give it to the Lord. And what would happen with that is it would be taken to the temple and some of it would be burnt as a, an act of sacrifice and of worship, but some of that would be used to keep the temple operating. Kind of the same thing happens here at church, right? We give to the church as an act of worship, and as a bonus, it keeps the church moving forward and it grows. Because there's, you know, churches eat money like babies drink milk. They just do. They, they, I mean, ministry that is growing requires money. It's just how it goes. So it, this is the, talking about a tithe, and it's getting, it's one of the ways that scripture talks about giving as structured, but there's really two ways that scripture talks about giving. There's spontaneous giving and structured giving. Spontaneous giving and structured giving. So spontaneous giving, uh, Dan, can you pull that one up? Because Okay, so spontaneous giving is finding creative ways to be generous as God brings opportunities. We may find ways to bless friends, neighbors, the poor, missionaries, projects, other people in need. It goes above and beyond structured giving. So spontaneous giving is, so we have this Christmas tree for the kids at Summit Academy where uh, between Grace Campus and Otterbein and Regen and their staff, we get make sure every kid gets a Christmas gift. It's actually really sweet. Every year a couple kids ask for something so they can give it to their siblings. Um, it's pretty crazy. Um, we do that. It's an offer to be spontaneous in your giving. It's up to 20 bucks. Here you go, right? That's a spontaneous gift. A spontaneous gift is... Um, when a friend of yours is in a time of need and you buy him a gift card or you take him a pizza or, or something like that. That's, that's spontaneous giving. That's one kind of giving in the Bible. The other kind of giving is structured giving. That's what Malachi is talking about, this, this structured giving. It's well thought out, consistent weekly or monthly giving that we base on a percentage of our income, usually around 10%. It's not an affordability issue. We prioritize this as the first thing we do with our money. So we don't look at our money and say, what can I afford? What we do is we say, what does the Lord deserve? And we give to him off the top. Now, here's why we give to the Lord off the top. If you don't give to the Lord first thing, you're never going to do it, right? Because other bills crop up, and so you give to that. The other reason that we give to the Lord on the, on the top, or what I would call on the front end, is because when we give to the Lord on the front end, he always makes it up on the back end. He always makes it up 
on the back end. Now, here's a, a thing about structured giving. This says usually around 10%. I, I, have a, I have a bone to pick with that because Paul in 1 Corinthians 16 says that we give as we prosper. Paul in 1 Corinthians 16 says we give as you prosper. He says each of you on the first day of the week should set some money aside as he or she may prosper. And here's why. And, and if you were at family meeting, you've heard some of this. So reinforcement is the mother of whatever. Um, isn't that a thing? Mother of learning? Repetition, reinforcement, see? Good job, babe. You're great. Um, So a person that's making $30,000 a year and giving 10% is making an extremely sacrificial gift because they're now living on $27,000 a year. That's tight. A person giving 10% of $300,000 is living on $270,000. Now, I've never done this. Um, But I would imagine that $270,000 in Northeast Ohio is plenty to live on and then some, right? And so really that giving as you prosper might mean a person in a season of scarcity or less may need to set in their heart a different percentage than 10% because they're not in the season of prospering. A person who's in a season of prospering may need to notch up their giving. In our home, that means about every year, we look at our giving. Like we look, is it, is it growing? Is it where it should be? Are we keeping it up? And for us... We follow that 1 Corinthians 16 principle of every day, every week, on the first day of the week, we put money in this bucket as it goes by. Now, plot twist, asterisk. Sometimes things get a little tight in the tenant house, so we skip a week and double up the next, or skip two weeks and triple up. I mean, you, get, you can't let this go on too long because it comes back to bite you right in the tuchus, right? Um, but tuchus is a Wisconsin word for your butt. Um, so there's spontaneous giving, and there's structured giving. Spontaneous giving kind of has at its heart this idea of sacrifice and generosity, which we see in Scripture. Uh, That's important. Um, But structured giving has this trust and control, right? Structured giving has this trust and control at it. Spontaneous giving seeks, is about this generosity and sacrifice. It's this idea of when I'm presented with a need, is the inclination of my heart to say yes or to say no. If the inclination of my heart is to say no, I'm not living in a place of generosity and sacrifice. Um, if my heart is inclined to say yes, it's saying I'm going to sacrifice a meal out with Steph. I'm going to sacrifice a latte or two at Nova. New holiday flavors were released over the weekend. Um, uh, it, it, it's about the posture of my heart to say yes to when presented with a need. Um, the question behind spontaneous giving is where are you prompting me to meet the needs of those around me? Structure giving, which is about trust and control, has to do with, on a regular basis, peeling my fingers away from what I perceive to be mine and handing it back to the Lord. The question with structure giving is, will 90% of my money, or whatever percentage you choose, will 90% of my money go farther than me controlling 100% as I trust you and put you first? That's the question. That's, I mean, there is no other question when it comes to structured giving. It's a question of trust and control. And do I believe my father can do more with 90% of my income than I could do with 100? Do I believe that God can do more with the 85% because we give to some missionaries and stuff like that? Um, can, do I believe that God can do more with that than I could do with 100? We have, we have good friends that right after they had uh, their kids... Uh, their breadwinner lost their job. And uh, so they were, I mean, they were living on government support, all that kind of stuff and, and doing all that. And they decided in their heart, 
that the first thing that they would pay every week was their tithe, that they were going to tithe exactly 10% of what they had, which wasn't a lot because they were scraping by. Um, and every month, at the end of the month, there was always, he would total up his bills and he would say, this is how much money we should have left in our account at the end of the month. There was always more. Not like we're going to Bora Bora next week more, right? There was always enough for their needs to be met, right? And that is a really great example of God using 90% way more than we could use 10, than we could use 100, excuse me. And if we're honest, spontaneous giving, first of all, if you're a millennial, you love spontaneous giving and you hate structured giving, right? Because spontaneous giving gives you the feeling of being generous, but you actually still get to stay in control. Uh, my master's degree, part of my research I did was on, on people in their 20s and 30s and their spiritual formation. You take a, per, you take a doctor in his 30s and you take some, like a teacher making nothing. So they probably teach in like South Dakota or Arizona, right? Um, both of them feel like they don't have money. Um, you, you, the general disposition of your heart if you're under 40 is that you don't have money, even if you do. Which makes like spontaneous giving something you're a fan of, uh, regular structured giving something hard. And, and the deal with structured giving, before we move on, that the structured thing is it's key every day of the week. And we talked about this at family meeting. Most people at Regen attend every other week. I'd say about 40 to 50% of people at Regen attend Regen every other week, which means if you're tithing at 10% every other week, you're actually only giving 5%, right? Which gets into this idea of the Lord saying, you're cheating me, right? In verse six, he says, you know, I'm the Lord, I do not change, that's why you're not consumed, right? If the Lord were not consistently himself all the time, this is, this is what makes the Lord, this is what makes Jesus and, and, and the God he reveals different from the gods of the pagans, is that God is consistent in his character, right? Now, our problem with that is his character feels inconsistent, right? He tells the Israelites to wipe out whole groups of people. He says, but he does, he asks them of that consistently. He also says, I am consistently loving. You have to wrestle that out, but he is consistently who he is. He is not fickle. He is not unpredictable, and that's why we are not consumed. And then he says, you've cheated me. And this whole kind of language of cheating is not uncommon in the Old Testament. It's actually pretty frequent in the Old Testament for God to accuse his people of cheating him. But almost always, they say that it, 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 it's said in a term of like false worship and idolatry. You're cheating me by committing adultery on me by going and worshiping Baal, by going and worshiping Molech. Here, God makes that same accusation, but it's on the basis of you owe me something that you're cheating me out of. Listen, scripture says the earth is the Lord's and everything's in it. And, and I know some people that really struggle with this because they think I work really hard to get what I get, right? Here's the deal. You work really hard to get what the Lord provides you, number one. And number two, usually in this conversation, somebody will bring up, especially older people will bring up, well, I'm on a fixed income, right? So Giving, giving sermons are hard because they'll say, well, I'm on a fixed income. And listen, I'm on a fixed income, right? I, I don't know anybody in this room that's not on a fixed income, right? Unless you happen to have like the rainbow with the leprechauns lands in your backyard every six months, like you're on, you're on a fixed income, right? And so the person who fixes our income is the Lord. And so he gives us what he entrusts us with for us to give back and we kind of engage in this relationship with him. He says, you have cheated me. And I think what's interesting about this text is it's God calling us back into relationship with him. It's God calling us back into relationship with himself for, for two reasons. One, 
when we remove our giving from our relationship to the Lord, the work of the kingdom slows down, right? So the text says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there would be food in my temple. He's literally saying, guys, it would be really great if the priests could eat, right? I don't want the priests weighed down. I don't want the priests weighed down uh, by this worry about where their next meal is going to come from because I've built this system where they're going to be taken care of. When, the work, when, when, when we are stingy with our money, when we don't keep up our obligation and our relationship with the Lord in financial ways, the work of the kingdom slows down. That's the first reason. But the second reason is the Lord's heart for this isn't just to take our money. The Lord's heart is for us to experience the provision, the freedom of provision, the freedom of his provision when we entrust ourselves to him. He wants us to experience that financial freedom. That's what, and that's what financial freedom is. I mean, you can read Dave Ramsey, you can read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you can read whatever book you want to read, but the reality is true financial freedom comes when we entrust ourselves to the provision of the Father and know that he's got our back. Know that when we've given him to him off the front end, he's going to take care of us on the back end. To know, I mean, this has become some like almost a liturgy in our house, is when a bill comes that we didn't see coming or when we have to spend money on a car, we say, all right, Jesus, it's your money. And if that's where you would like it to go, if you would like it to go to this place or that place, that's fine because it wasn't ours in the first place. It wasn't ours in the first place. That's financial freedom. It's not how much you have in your Roth IRA or your investments or how big your house is or how nice your car is. It's not any of these things that we attach value to. True financial freedom is when we realize that the Lord's got our backs, that he's going to provide us for our needs. He's going to provide for some of the wants that we have. And so this is why the Lord can say something so strong in verse 10. He says, test me in this. He says, try it. He says, test me in this. Now, tap in. I was just, I'm listening to a podcast. We were, I, 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 there's a podcast called The Bible Project. They do videos of overview of the Bible. Um, really helpful. They've got a podcast where they're just like, they're doing a series right now on God that's mind-blowing. And, uh, and one of the podcasts, the author said, one of the guys said, we need to develop an inner ancient Israelite. You need to develop an inner ancient Israelite as you're reading the Old Testament. You need to develop this. So let's all tap into our inner ancient Israelite. It could be named Ruth, Naomi, Jacob, Isaac, whatever you want to name him. Um, tap into your inner ancient Israelite, and when they hear this, put me to the test, their jaw drops to the floor. Why? Because God was super clear in the book of Deuteronomy, you shall not put me to the test. In other words, we don't play games. You don't do things to try to get me to do what you want me to do. But the Bible contradicts itself in key moments, and this is one of them. The Bible contradicts itself when it wants to, and God contradicts himself in this because he is so set on being your provider. He is so set on coming alongside and stunning you with his generosity that he makes a Las Vegas wager with you. He says, test me. Try it out. And uh, for those of you who, you were getting some emails, some of you are newer to our community since then, but we had a family meeting at the beginning of October because um, what we kind of discerned was that um, our financial commitment to the vision of our church and our financial aspects of our relationship to Jesus wasn't keeping up with where it should be. So we had a pretty honest conversation about where we were and what the budget was going to look like and we're going to increase communication. But FYI, that, that whole meeting kind of had behind it this idea of test me in this, right? Because we needed, to, I, I, we needed to call ourselves to greater faithfulness in this. In October, we had the strongest financial month we have ever had as a church. And we met our budget without any of the financial assistance that we get from the annual conference. That has never happened. 
So thank you, by the way, number one. And, and don't let up because this is what it means to be a church. An interesting thing happened at Grace Campus about this two weeks ago. Um, uh, in a meeting, uh, you know, rule number one is it takes a really good meeting to, meet, to beat no meeting at all. Okay, just FYI. So we're in this meeting and I'm almost always kind of ready to bang my head against the table because I feel like we could accomplish this in an email. But um, one of our leaders... Um, made a motion of the board and he said, you know, we're blessed to be a blessing. Uh, Grace is experiencing probably the healthiest financial fall it's ever had in about 10 years. And so he, this leader said, um, I wanna suggest that at the end of the year, after all of our bills are paid, um, any money that we have on hand over $7,000, we give away. And uh, you watch this room of very responsible people kind of like, teeter on the edge of, well, like, you know, money is good and we need to have that and da 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 And uh, I just whipped out Malachi 3 and I was like, scripture says, test me in this, right? Scripture invites us, it challenges us, it provokes us, it kind of double dares us to test God. So we are. So at Grace Campus, anything over $7,000 in our general fund, um, anything over $7,000 in our general fund will be given away evenly between three causes. I think that's amazing. I think that's amazing. Right, because the Lord says, test me in this. Um, I would, I'm going to kind of be floating an idea similar to that to our, in our leadership here. But I, I, I think here's, you know, we're trying to be more practice-based. So here, here's the practices for you, that, for you this morning. Um, you need to, first of all, evaluate your giving. We kind of did this back in October, but some of you are new. Um, some of you may have questions about how does the money work, right? You look at, you come to Regen, it's not in a building, um, that we own, you know, I, my salary split with other, other campus, how much can it cost? But it, it's not about being cheap, it's about being generous, it's about what could we do if we really kind of stepped up and just gave a ton away. Um, so evaluate your giving, is it regular? Is it generous? I mean, are you leaning, are you, are you always moving toward giving more? Is it sacrificial? Does it pinch a little bit? Like when you give, does it make, does it evoke in you trust? Right, does it evoke in you like, okay, I'm gonna do this and the Lord's really gotta get me on the back end here because, right? Um, is it joyful? Like, do you do it because you want to do it, not because you feel guilted into it? Some churches um, will uh, take their employees' tithe right off the top of their paycheck, which to me feels like you're just giving everybody a 10% cut in their pay. <laughs> but that's being forced to give under compulsion, not giving joyfully, right? So are we, are we giving as an act of worship? So that's one. Number two, like, over the next six weeks or so, you are going to receive endless messages of what makes your life good, right? Whether it's a light bright, or I don't know, what do, what do people buy these days? An Xbox, I mean, like I'm an adult. I'm, here's, this is adulthood, everybody. As you, you think, like last year, I got a lot of socks for Christmas. It was great, right? It was awesome, right? So whatever it is, we're going to receive a lot of messages about what will make our life great. And it'll be buying this thing and buying that thing and buying this thing. But, but what advertisers have known since the very beginning is that you can buy that ring for your wife. Uh, you can buy that necklace for your girlfriend. You can buy this thing for your kids. You can buy all these things, but a dysfunctional family is a dysfunctional family whether or not it has that. A dysfunctional marriage is a dysfunctional marriage whether or not they have a, a necklace in the shape of two hearts intertwined or something gross, Right? Like whatever it is, right? Unless you like that, then that's great. Um, uh, you know, I mean, by the way, gentlemen, like nothing is going to torpedo some things faster if you buy your wife like a vacuum, right? 
Like, just because you would like that doesn't mean she would like that. So just FYI, that one's free. Um, uh, you're going to receive endless messages, and the irony is that the actual way to the good life isn't by accruing more. It's actually by living more simply and getting rid and having less. And my challenge for you is instead of the first, the first fruits of your money and the top of your paycheck being given away to buying Christmas gifts, let that be given to the Lord and don't spend like almost every American, almost every American will spend the first four months of next year paying off credit card debt for stuff they bought for Christmas. The average American will go into $1,000 of holiday related debt this year. Isn't that a crazy number? Um, what if, what if the answer to a happier life and to a more fulfilled life isn't a massive Christmas, but actually being generous toward the Lord and moving on? And, and I think it's important to remember, by the way, why does God ask all of this of us? Look again at chapter 3, verse 7. Return to me, and I will return to you. See, see God doesn't want to let something as silly as money get in the way of our connection to him and our union with him. He doesn't. And truth be told, we're the ones that let it in there, right? We're always kind of putting stuff between us and Jesus. But the the invitation of Jesus, the invitation from our Father is, let me take care of you and trust yourself into my provision and my care, and I will set you free from your worry, right? And we can be together, and and that's that's the magic. That's the good life. So um, here's what I want to let you do is I want to give you like about three minutes to respond to the Lord. Um, And so on the back of your program, if you have that, it kind of says... Um, it says, what is God saying? What am I going to do about it? Right? That's what disciples do. They live a, a lifestyle of revelation and response. God reveals himself to them. He, they, they act on it, right? Maybe you can sit quietly, pray. Um, just um, think of, like, what is, what is the Lord's invitation and challenge for you today? And uh, then the worship team will kind of lead us a little bit, and we'll receive communion together. So let me pray for you while you just, Lord, help us to hear your voice today. And... Um, God, you are not yet another advertiser trying to get your hand into our purses and our wallets. You are the king, you're the king of our heart. And, and you know the, the best way to our heart is through our wallets. And so, Lord Jesus, would you um, come and speak to us? You come so tenderly and softly. Um, church, let me, let me give you this instruction. If, if as you're thinking, you're thinking, I should or need to or have to, that is not the voice of the Lord, okay? Should have to, should, I should be giving more. I need to give more. I, I have to be more generous. That is not how the Lord speaks. The Lord speaks in good news. So you'll find where the Lord is speaking in your life when it's, when you stop shooting on yourself, okay? So take a minute. Our giving is not to buy our way into heaven or into God's favor. We can't. Uh, The only way we get into God's favor, into his presence, and the only reason we give is because he gave first. He gave us himself broken. He gave us himself poured out. And so any of our giving is only ever in response to that. It It is never anything but generosity responding to generosity. And so the way we... Uh, receive communion at Regen is real simple. You take somebody, you come forward, someone will rip off a piece of the bread. Why? Because we want to give you germs. No, because grace is given, it is not taken, right? So we'll hand you a piece of the bread, you dip it in the cup, 
taste and see that the Lord is good. And Jesus invites to his table anyone. This is not my table or our table, it's his. And so Jesus, who died for the world, invites anyone to this table who has a pulse. You got a pulse? You're up. You're welcome to this table. If you don't have a pulse, we got major problems. Um, and so I need four people to serve communion. So come at me if that's you. That's one. Thank you, Jairus. That's Zach. That's Rebecca. I'm not going to, so somebody's got to move at me. Thank you, Mitchell. Great. So we pray, Father, that you would pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and cup, that they might become for us the body and blood of Christ, that in eating and drinking of the gift that you have given us, we might be called deeper into your own heart and into your own life of giving. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The table is ready. Jesus says, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life whether you have enough food and drink or even enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. So seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. And don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Love you so much. Uh, it's my joy to be with you every week and uh, we'll see you next week. Grab an ornament for Summit, sign it out, bring it back. Peace, love you.